My name is Danielle, um, and I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. Um, after I read, I'll in, um, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. Today we're going to be looking through uh, Luke 5, 33 through 39. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is still with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Danielle, thank you. Um, good morning. Thank you, thank you. And if you're, uh, if you're at home and awake, great. Glad you're here, glad you're, if you're listening another time, thanks. Um, we're a little, little mellow this morning, a little sleepy, um, which is totally fine. I just, I wanna take a, uh, a quick check. How many of you are at the end of spring break and will be headed back to school and normal life tomorrow? Okay. Uh, that's got to be a parent up there. It has to be a parent. Um, yeah, that's our, our home too. We've, we've had a great spring break-ish, and, uh, and now we're, we're headed back into normal, and it just feels a little, a little sleepy um, in here. So I hope, I hope you're awake. Um, I, uh, I love coming together and singing uh, to Jesus with a whole bunch of people once a week like this, and uh, even more so that I can hear uh, other voices more now that fewer of us have masks on. That's just a great, great gift. Um, and so it's just been a gift to be able to sing with you already uh, this morning. I, um, uh, Adam mentioned baptism, um, and uh, I, I just, Danielle just read our scripture for this the morning, and Danielle, you were baptized about a year ago. Where'd you go? I don't know where you went. Wow, you like teleported fast. Okay, um, about a year ago or ish, and um, um, I was also thinking about last week, my, uh, it's so exciting, first of all, to hear that um, another person this morning said they were interested in being baptized. It's such a, especially on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, to be able to celebrate people who are following Jesus and declaring that he's their king is, is such a great moment for, for them, for us, most importantly, just for Jesus, that he's alive and at work in our world today. Uh, last Sunday, uh, my oldest and youngest son, uh, walked into our space here, and if you were here last Sunday, there was a bunch of uh, drywall and taping going on up in front of us here, and they both walked in and looked up and said, wait, I was baptized up there, um, and that's gone now. So if you've been around for any amount of time, and uh, remember that there was a big hole up there, and then there's a baptism behind what is now a wall that is, is blocked off, um, that's where baptisms used to happen, and that was fantastic and wonderful. Um, and now they happen down here on the floor. And uh, so on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we'll have a baptismal down here, and we'll be baptizing people 
right here. This is gone now because we're getting ready to make some, uh, the, the, we've got a screen that's coming in in a couple weeks and, and that's really great and there's new lights and sound and stuff that is um, going in and we're learning how to do that and that's all great. And I just wanna say thanks again to the team that is helping to make that happen and learning the new stuff and, and all that. It's hopefully helpful, hopefully particularly for those of you that are, are watching at a later time or at home right now, uh, it's clearer, easier to follow and all, all of that. Um, and so this is really good, but, but the reason that we're doing this is that we believe that God wants to do something in and through us as his followers um, because we happen to be in a city and in a moment in time where there is so many people around us in our lives, in our workplaces, where we hang out, uh, where we frequent that do not know Jesus, and we believe that God has called us to be sent to this particular city at this particular time. Uh, and so as much as what we do in here is really important, we really view this and this time and us as a church as a sending base to reach uh, our city. We're taking a, a, a step toward that. As Adam said, it's important that we're connected in relationship and coming out of uh, two years of COVID and restrictions and all of that, many of us are, are finding that we are not in as many relationships or as significant relationships as we have been. We're taking a step after Easter uh, well, we're just going to create some time and space to be together, to pray together, to share a meal together uh, all over our city. We've kind of identified seven areas. Um, I'm going to not maybe remember all of these, but um, northeast here, where, where we are close in here, uh, southeast, uh, deeper into the south, out east, uh, uh, in North Portland, uh, in Vancouver, and west side uh, of the river. I think that's seven, but we've identified seven, and, and people are starting to say, hey, we'll, we'll host that and that kind of thing. So just be be looking for that, but that's a next step for us to say, hey, how can we be where God has placed us? Uh, and to be praying for our neighbors and, and asking God, what is it that you might want to do in and through me in the places that you've, you've put us, particularly in our neighborhood? So, so that's coming. We, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Luke, and we're going to continue. You heard the verses just read. Uh, and so before we, we read those together and study those together, would you just join me in another word of prayer, and then we'll open up scripture together. God, we are, we are in your time and in your space, and we desire, we long to meet with you and to hear from you. And so, God, would you help us in this moment to, to acknowledge your presence, and at the very same time as you're here with us, that we would be in awe of who you are, and that our response to you would be one that engages both our, our head and our heart, and even our bodies, that we would worship you with, with our whole being of all of who we are. And so, Holy Spirit, we say that we need your help with that. Would you help us to, to wake us up and to, to help us to be alert in this moment? Would you help us to, to be moldable and, and soft? Would our hearts and minds be soft so that you can mold them and direct them? Would you meet us in our moments of disappointment and sadness this morning, in our moments of fear? And would, as we just sang, would you bring us to a place of joy that doesn't quite relate to everything that's going on around us, but that relates and is generated and comes from you, Holy Spirit. Would you do that in us this morning? And Jesus, as we just sang, you are the only one of you. You are absolutely unique. Your name is beautiful, and we want to sing it and know it and shout it. And so, Jesus, would you help us this morning to further embrace you as the king of our life? Would the words that we just sang become true of our very lives? That would you be our king? And would we learn more in this morning and today what, what that means? And so, Jesus, we declare you in this place. We know that you are alive and active and at work in our world today. And we want to see that and be part of it. Would you guide us and teach us now as we look to your word? 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, you're wearing that. Has anybody ever said that to you? So you're wearing that. Oh, you don't have any friends or a spouse? Okay. Lucky you. If you have any friends or a spouse, I'm just going to assume that you've heard that before. That somebody has said, so, so you're wearing that. And it's not, it's not necessarily a question, right? I mean, it's obvious. Yes, I'm wearing this. But it, it, it's more of a, it's more of a, a statement that, that's a critique. So you're wearing that. Well, obviously, I've got it on. Like, and then when, if you've ever heard that, um, and this, I guess this is just me all airing my own experience here, but when I've heard that, I have this little flutter in my chest, and it's a mix that I have a hard time discerning. Is it, um, is it embarrassment or fear or shame even? Or is it like uh, just sheer anger? And, and the, the, the two are like pulling at themselves. Like it's almost like a, a fight or flight instinct. No, no, no one. I'm the only one. Gosh, this is embarrassing. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so if you've ever heard that, so you're wearing that, or, or maybe it's like, uh, oh, so this is what you're listening to now. Oh, that, oh, you're watching that. Oh, you're reading that. Oh, you're into them. Like, anything like that that we know, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a question, but it's, it's more than a question. It's a, it's a statement, and it's like a statement of uh, critique, if not condemnation. That, okay, that's, that's where you're at. That's, that's what you're doing. It's this, it's this way of just kind of cutting through any kind of sense of nicety and comfort and, and, okay, we're done with that. It's just, okay, there's this judgment of, okay, that's really where you're headed with that. Now, it's one thing if it's what we're wearing in our clothes, and that can be, be personal. It's what we're listening to or reading or into or following or whatever it might be. And, and there's a sense of where that, that is personal. But we, we all know that there's another level deeper that that kind of questioning and critique can go to. And, and it's, uh, it goes to more of our identity. And not that those things aren't a part of our identity. They're closely related, but they are kind of external. But when it comes closer to, to who we see ourselves being, and particularly when it comes to what we believe, because what we believe is closely tied to our identity. They're hard to separate. In fact, what we believe is meant to shape and inform who we are. And so when it comes to questions of belief or faith or spirituality, and for, for us in this space and time, who Jesus is and how we're following him and learning to hear his voice and become more like him, when the questions and critique are related to our faith and specifically to Jesus, it's a whole nother level deeper. I think most of us know what it's like to have some kind of question or critique related to following Jesus in our time and in our world today. It's really good for us that Jesus himself is the absolute master at responding to and handling questions and critique. And we have in Scripture, story after story after story, and we have this telling of Jesus' life where he models for us, where we can read it and hear it and imagine it and see it in Scripture, how Jesus is so masterful at responding to questions and critique about himself and about what he believes and who he is. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how Jesus handles that because it's really helpful for us to become more like him in how he handles questions 
and critique. And in this short verses that we heard read just a few moments ago, there's a, there's a model for us, there's an example for us, and there's three things that we can take from it. That as we walk through our days and our weeks and our lives and our relationships today, that we can handle when there's questions and critique that comes to it, not with what we're wearing, but who we believe Jesus is and how we're seeking to follow him with our lives. So look at this, verse, verse 33. If you uh, haven't already, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're, we're going to finish up chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 33. says this, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Clear as day. So you're wearing that. Like, there's not even a question mark in there. If you're looking closely, it doesn't end with a question mark. John's disciples often do this. The Pharisees' disciples often do this. But yours don't. It's just an observation, but it's a critique, right? It's a critique. And um, it's coming in the conversation that's already started in the, in the text that we looked at last week, in the story, in the passage that we looked at last week. Um, Jesus invites a tax collector, a guy named Levi, to come and follow him. He leaves his tax collecting business and follows Jesus, and then he immediately throws a party, and Jesus attends the party, and he introduces all of his friends to Jesus. Beautiful story. The Pharisees are hanging out on the outside of the house, maybe on the curb, on the street, whatever, and they, they say to Jesus' disciples, why does... Why do you hang out? Why does Jesus hang out with tax collectors and sinners? It's this question to the disciples, but Jesus shows up and answers the question. The disciples don't have to answer the question. It says this in verse 30 from last week. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's the question. So Jesus has a question that he answers, and then they follow up with, hey, and then about fasting and, and praying. The other people who are seeking to be righteous, John, John the Baptist, he's this, this wild kind of prophet guy, and he's got a lot of attention, and they admire his followers. They fast and pray. The Pharisees are kind of the, the standard religious leaders of the time. They kind of are the gatekeepers for what is righteous and pious in that time and that culture, and their disciples fast and pray. Jesus, your disciples basically party. They, they eat and drink. They hang out. They're, Another way to say this is John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples are no fun, and yours are fun. Like, stop it. Come be no fun like us, because that really honors God. Like, that's what the Pharisees are kind of saying. Here's Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, my disciples aren't fasting and praying. His answer to that observation is this. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He answered their question earlier from, from last week, if you were with us. Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus answers their question about, about fasting and, and praying. And he's, he says, um, hey, you know what like a, a wedding's like, right? Like when there's a wedding, there's a, there's a feast. When somebody gets married in our culture, everything stops, Jesus says. And you know this. You know that when somebody gets married, everything stops. And for like days on end, we have a party. We have a feast for this, this new relationship where a man and a woman has become one. And we celebrate and two families are joined together. And it's a time of celebration. Even so much so that if there's a scheduled fast in our calendar of events that roll through the year that we all know about in Jewish culture, 
if there's a fast that is supposed to come that day, the, the feast trumps it. The feast, the feast has a higher priority. In fact, you don't have to do that fast. You get to, you get to party. You get to eat and drink. Fasting was this, this practice in that time that when, when Jesus uh, was there in the first century and in that culture where it was, it was just woven into the, the fabric of the culture and the time. And so in, in Israel, and if you can picture in a city in Jerusalem, there were these calendared fasts where, where everybody would know that they're not supposed to be eating. And maybe some did it at home, but you know, you just kind of comment like, hey, we're all fasting, we're all not eating. Pharisees in, in particular would fast twice a week all the time, fast twice a week. I don't know if it was like Monday and Thursday, I don't, I don't remember exactly what days it is, but it's, it's two times a week they would take meals off. John's disciples would fast. Jesus even fasted. We know if you've been with us in chapter 3 that Jesus fasted 40 days, 40 nights. Wasn't opposed to fasting. Wasn't that he never did it. Wasn't that he said there's no more fasting. What he says is in this time right now, we're in a unique moment. And those who are, know me and are getting to know me and are following me, it's like a wedding feast for them. Jesus says, I'm, I'm the bridegroom, and I'm inviting this new bride, which is going to become the church, to me. And there's no fasting. Fasting is, is hard. It's difficult. And there's a time for that. But right now, I'm, I'm here. The first thing that, that Jesus models for us in how to engage with criticism, critique, questions. We read last week that the, the Pharisees were actually complaining. You could add complaints to the list. Disgruntledness. When somebody kind of comes after us, we can look at the life of Jesus and see how he handled it. And the first thing he does is when there's a question or a critique, Jesus actually validates the question. He validates it. I don't know if you've ever been asked a, a question that you wish you hadn't been asked or that was a critique type of a question or that was pushing on you, making you uncomfortable, and you just dismissed it. What are you wearing? I'm out. Goodbye. That was a, that was a confession. I just walk out of the room. I put time into picking this out. I look good. I mean, I think I look good, and I just, I just walk out. You just dismiss it. Jesus doesn't do that. And, and Jesus, you got to understand, Jesus has just done these miraculous healings, and he's like, I just, gotta, I just made a guy walk who's never walked before. A guy who, who was, who was like dead with leprosy, I just, I just gave him his life back. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these miracles. I don't need to ask your question. I don't need to be slowed down with your question. Jesus had that option with him, but he doesn't do that. The Pharisees, who he critiques more than anybody else throughout the book of Luke, he actually takes time to engage their question. He knows their question, and he comes outside of his party, and he says, hey, disciples, you don't need to answer it. I'll answer this. He validates the question simply by, by engaging it and answering it. He actually agrees with part of the Pharisees' question. The Pharisees' question that we looked at last week was, was why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? The, the implication is, these people are not worthy. They're, they're like, culturally, they're dirty. You stay away from them. And Jesus answers the question by saying, it's not the righteous, the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. He validates the question by saying, yeah, you've, you've, you've pinpointed some truth. You've pinpointed something that I agree with. I agree that the tax collectors and these sinners are sick. He doesn't just defend them and say, nope, they're fine, they're perfect. He, he agrees with the Pharisees. But then what is he, he follows it up and says, but my mission is to come and to be with them, to be with them. 
He validates the question. When, he, when it says your, your, your disciples don't fast and pray like the other people who are trying to be righteous, he, he validates it and he says, let me give you an example. Let me give you a picture. Let me answer that with a question. When you're at a wedding feast, are you fasting? No, you don't show up and say, yeah, here's my plus one and we're going to sit down and yeah, I know we registered for the fish, but we're, we're just not, we're fasting. Hey, everybody, we're fasting at the wedding. He's like, no, that's ridiculous. You don't do that. Jesus validates the question. What does that look like for us to do? When somebody critiques or puts you on the spot or asks a, maybe even an offensive question about Jesus or about faith or about other Christians, our, our ways of responding are across the board we've got a whole lot of options of how we can respond we can dismiss it distance ourselves from it and disengage we can react emotionally and defensively or we can validate the question and say yeah that's that's a valid that's a valid question that's that's a good question actually uh, why is it that so many so-called christians behave so contrary to how I've heard Jesus behave? Like, that's a legit question, right? Like, because we all see that, right? That's a fair and good question. Why is it that um, there's not too much time that goes on before I hear of another known leader, Christian leader, pastor, politician, whatever it might be, who's done something really bad? Why is it that there's legal cases going on where Christian leaders have failed and abused those under their care? Stolen money. Who come out and actually don't believe anything that they've been saying and teaching for years on end. Why is it that there are wars, both in the past and currently, that have religious roots to them, actually centered on the Bible and on an idea of Jesus where people are killing each other. Do you believe what I've heard these people believe who are Christians and live in another part of the country? We can validate all of those. We don't need to be threatened by those. We don't need to run away. We don't need to defend. We don't need to respond emotionally. We can just simply say, that's a, that's a good question. Can we talk about that? Can we engage in that? The first thing Jesus does is he validates the question. But what, what is so fascinating and so helpful is the next thing that he does. It's sometimes not the next thing that we do. The second thing that he does is he makes it all about himself. He makes it about Jesus. Jesus answers questions to his disciples Jesus answers questions that are about him, and he drives it all the way back to him. He just says, come, come look at me. When he's, when he's painting this picture of a wedding feast, he's putting himself as the bridegroom. He doesn't say that explicitly, but clearly that's what he means. He's not saying, I am the bridegroom, but he's saying, hey, let me, let me help you think about something. My disciples who are feasting are feasting because they're with the bridegroom. He says, I'm going to make this about me. Do you know how important it is that I am here in the flesh doing the things that I'm doing? And you've seen what I've done. I've done these supernatural things that nobody else can do. And I've done them in increasingly intense fashion. And then he says, at the same time that I'm doing these, these miracles, I'm also 
pushing the envelope on what you know. And so a few days ago, what did I just do? I just, I forgave somebody of their sins. And you guys got all bent out of shape, didn't you? Because you were watching. And there's a, it's beautiful in that passage. It says, I, it says that Jesus knows what they're thinking. So he actually, before they even ask the question, he answers it and says, what's it more difficult to do? To forgive sins or to tell a man to walk that's never walked before, that's paralyzed. He forgives somebody's sins and that's like, they're, they're like, okay, hopefully that was a one-off and no, no more of that happens because that was too weird and that shouldn't have happened. And then the next thing he does soon after that is he eats with tax collectors and sinners. You just don't do that. They're sick and they're dirty and they're ostracized. And can we just keep them out into the sides of society and marginalize them so we don't even have to see them interact with them very much? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to them. I'm going to be with them. And then what does he do? He, he doesn't fast. And he doesn't call his disciples to fast. And he makes it about him. When he answers the question, he makes it about him. He says, I'm the one. I'm the bridegroom. This is all about me. He makes it about him. We so often answer questions and critique with how we've lived our own life for the things that, that we've learned, the things that we're confident of. And those can be really good. But if we're not pointing it back to Jesus, we're going to end up carrying a weight that we cannot carry on our own, that we're not intended to. Jesus makes it about him. We should do the same thing. Why are there so many leaders that fail? Yeah. I wish I understood that. I, I don't know. But you know what? I know that, that Jesus lived an impeccable life that was without sin. And he followed through on everything that he said he would do. That he kept his word. And he didn't abuse anyone. And he didn't take advantage of anybody. He didn't even take advantage of his own power. And he had so much of it, I can't even fathom it or write it all down or fully explain it all. Jesus was a different kind of leader. Why is there so much injustice in the world? I, I don't know. I know I've even contributed to it in some ways. But you know what? Jesus never did. Jesus was just in everything he said and everything he did. And he was pointing to and starting to create a world that is better than any of us could ever imagine. And that's what he wants. Do you want to know the ways that I've failed in the questions and the critiques that you're asking me? I can list them out. But you know what? Jesus has none. Jesus is perfect. And it is a tragedy that those who are following him and love him and want to be like him fall so short of who he is. But let's look at him. Let's celebrate him. Let's claim his name. Let's raise him up. Jesus makes it all about him. And then he does this. Look at the next verses, verse uh, 36. He told them this parable. So he says, I want to explain this a little bit more. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. See, Jesus has got like, um, I don't know, like PhD level smarts, and he, 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 can, he, can, he can bring it down and make it so simple, you're like, nah, that can't be it. There's got to be something more complex going on here. It can't quite possibly be that simple. And Jesus does this thing, he's like, you're the Pharisees. You're the religious leaders. You know yeah, multiple languages and all the important books, and you, you live and look differently, and, and you're really pursuing God, although you've gotten off track a little bit, and you need to listen to me. But you guys are, are fantastic and super intelligent and all this. He's like, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the cookies way, way, way down here on the, on the lowest shelf. I'm going to make it super easy. And he's like, okay, so you know like when you've got a new garment and you've got an old, right? And you guys got the new one, and you know, Amazon just dropped it off on your porch and you've got an old one 
He goes, nobody does this. Nobody tears this one to fix this one. Okay, I, I, now as I say that, I realize that that doesn't work in Portland because we actually do that. That literally just hit me right now. We gotta, we're going to have to edit this. This is like, that's... So I, I did this. Uh, we've got a, like a, a group at, within Mosaic, like, oh gosh, eight or nine years ago, um, started this awesome thing. This was totally not planned. Started this awesome thing called the Free Clothing Exchange. And I, don't, I, I, I served at it last week. Um, for the first time, never served at it before. It was the first time there in, in, in person, able to host it again in North Portland. And it was, it was phenomenal. It was, uh, Zach and Jenny Stack are leading this, and there's a whole crew that, that helps make it happen. Almost 100 people came through to get clothes that they needed or, or wanted. And it was, there was so much clothes, and it, it was, but it's just all donated clothes. And as I'm reading this and realizing, like, yeah, people left with bags of clothes and, and, and needed it, but there was also some folks that came in that were just hunting for like really cool weird stuff and um, there was definitely some clothes in there that were newer that should be torn and, and put on old clothes and, and made new but that, yeah so we do weird things with our clothes here so this doesn't work so forget this one so <laughs> jesus is trying to make the point that the new doesn't go with the old and so he tries again and he's like this he says this um, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. Again, like super simple. We get that, right? Because of our wineskins. We've done that, right? We've made that mistake with wineskins. We've put new wine in our old wineskins, and wait, whoops. So basically what happens is old wineskins don't, don't get expanded and contracted anymore. They get stiff, and they're fine for the wine that's already fermented in it. It's the old wine, and it's getting good as it ages, right? But you can't use those for new wine because it's going to ferment and expand and they're going to split. That's the, that's the idea. And Jesus is like, in case you don't get those two, try this one. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Now granted, now remember, he's, he's down here on the lower shelf. Jesus is, this is not a riddle. Okay? We don't have to like... We don't have to like turn our minds to a higher level to figure this out. All Jesus is saying here is that the new doesn't go with the old. The new doesn't go with the old. And when he ends it with saying like some want the old wine, you're like, yeah, I don't know much about wine. Or maybe you know a ton about wine and you're like, yeah, old wine is better. Okay, granted, old wine can be better. What Jesus is saying is there's something new that's happening that is better than the old. And some people actually just want the old. Now, with wine, that works. With what Jesus is talking about and alluding to, it doesn't work. He's saying there is a way of doing things and being that is now going to be in the past and something new has arrived. This does not mean, hear me in this, this does not mean that every new thing is better than the old. We have all updated software on our phone before and learned that that's not true and wish that we hadn't and started Googling how we can go back to the one that was before. Not every new thing is better than the old. That is not what Jesus is saying. Don't use that. Don't go there with it. What he is saying is that it's about him and he has now arrived and so the old is gone and something new has arrived. That Jesus is inaugurating a new kind of life and a new experience in this world that doesn't exist prior to him. And now that he's here, he wants everybody to see him, know him and go with him. And some people will say, no, the old way is still good. I'm going to go that way. And he's like, yeah, I put it as simple as can be, and you didn't get it, so I'm just going to keep moving, and hopefully you'll see it later. 
Jesus is saying that he is the new way. Listen to this. This is, it's a, it's a little, it's not going to be up on the screen, so just listen really carefully and closely. A New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright says this, people sometimes use this passage to justify every bright idea and to mock every tradition, but that's not the idea. Jesus is doing a new thing. This new thing still forms the basis of Christianity today. Still forms what Jesus was doing then 2,000 years ago, saying, here's something new. I'm inaugurating a new thing. It's called the kingdom. He says, "I'm, I'm starting a new kingdom here within this world. The real challenge of this passage is to see where in the world, and of course, in the church too, people are living today as though the old age was still the norm, as though the new life of the gospel had never burst in upon us. The task then is to live out the new life, the new energy, which is at the heart of Jesus' teaching and work. The third thing that Jesus does, Jesus validates the question, he points to himself, but then the third thing he does when he engages questions and criticism of him is he acts knowing that he, Jesus, is alive and active. That our response, whatever it may be, would be with a sense of faith that Jesus is alive and well today. I don't have to answer every critique. I don't have to be proved right with every answer that I provide when somebody asks me about my faith. It is okay to play the fool. It is okay to look like the outsider, like the one that nobody else looks like. It is okay to mistakenly be assumed to be a Christian in the same way that somebody is a Christian in a different part of our nation or in a different part of the world, even though that is nothing like you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus in your city at your time, seeking to understand Jesus as best you can from Scripture and to hear his voice and follow him now. Because we can step out in faith and say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you. The Pharisees were asking, and this, this is hard to see in there, but just know this, the Pharisees are asking a worldview question. Jesus, why are you hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, why are you partying and missing the fast on Thursday? And Jesus is saying, there's a new time. Things have changed. I have arrived. I am active and I am alive and I am well and I am inaugurating a new way of life that is going to bring peace and joy and justice and hope to a world desperately in need of it. And so we're to... We're to respond when we receive questions and criticism as if that is the world that we're living in right now because it is. That we're to actually live as a worldview answer when criticism and questions come to us. We're to live in a different way. We're to live as if we have a king who is alive and well and more powerful than anything else in this world. And at times that means that we will look odd and different and fumble over our words and not have the right answer. But in the midst of all that, we can point to Jesus. And we can say, I live in a moment and a time where healings happen, where lives that were dead and separated from God come to life and get reunited in God. And I've seen it because I've seen people be baptized. And I've seen people live in certain way with certain values and certain behaviors be completely transformed to become different people. And I can see times when there looks like there's no hope and things are getting worse, that in the midst of that, something new starts and there's hope and joy and new life in that because Jesus is alive and active. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm at work, come with me, follow me. 
One of the ways, it's not on this list of three things, but one of the ways that we prepare ourselves for questions and critique in the time that we now live is by returning week after week to Jesus' table and to be reminded of the good news of the gospel. Listen to these verses. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus says, I'm creating a new way where the prisoner is set free, the blind will see, the oppressed have hope. We live in that day. This is our day. And when we come to this table and we take the bread that represents Christ's body broken and drink the juice that represents his blood shed for us, we remind ourselves of that good news that's made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so if you've got one of these, peel back the top layer and there's a little cracker there and then push down the silver and that cracks the seal for the juice. Jesus, as we are still fumbling with these cups that remind us of a, a world that's broken, that viruses and disease separates, make ill and kill, and yet you are more powerful than all of that. And so as we come to your table and are reminded again of your body broken and your blood shed, we say that you are our king and you are the source of our joy. Would you give us strength, courage, and wisdom when we respond to questions that come to us and critiques that come? And would we actually live and be demonstrations of you being alive and active in our world today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.